The Motivational Moments podcast is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Prime Information Security, online at www.primeinfosec.com, and with the support of our many subscribers. Thank you. Hello everyone, it's Linda Ockwell-Jenner here with another Motivational Moments podcast. And today I'm very, very proud and honoured to have a wonderful human being as my guest, Melissa Day, who is a metastatic breast cancer advocate and just happens to be my wonderful daughter. Hello, Melissa. Hello, how are you? Well, I'm very excited that um, you've got the time to come along today and share at least some of, um, you know, the beginnings of your story on your journey. And I know we're, we're going to be recording some more podcasts. So, you know, we want to raise awareness about um, a topic that's very dear to to us, don't we? Yes, exactly. So I'll let you take the floor, Melissa. So my story uh, starts with um, actually you um, and your background um, as a two-time breast cancer survivor. And at the time when you were diagnosed, you know, the research around um, some of the genes and and gene mutations that um, impact people and can be a cause of breast cancer um, weren't as well known. And um, at the time when when you were diagnosed, uh, we knew that you did didn't have uh, BRCA, which is one of the the known genes at the time. So because of your history, I think breast cancer and um, breast cancer awareness has always been something that's been top of mind for both of us. And for me, it's always been something that I've really tried to encourage uh, friends and colleagues to take the time and, you know, check for lumps and pay attention to changes in their bodies. And so, you know, I've also kept an eye on those things for myself. So at the end of 2018, um, I was 31. um, And I remember being um, upstairs hanging up clothes and I was wearing a white tank top. And I remember looking down at my shirt and noticing that there were some little yellow spots on my tank top, right where my breast would be. And I thought to myself, that's weird. I don't remember spilling anything on my shirt. So I took my shirt off. I then put another white shirt on. And a bit later, I noticed the spots were back. So I uh, took a bit of a, a closer look and noticed that there was some discharge coming from my right nipple. So the discharge was a yellowy brown color. And I remember, um, you know, after telling Paul, my now husband, um, I called you and, and said, what do I do? And so we immediately went to the family doctor who referred me to a specialist. Um, and the specialist ordered some tests. And ultimately, they said, you know, it could just be something that happens. You know, I wouldn't really worry about it. Um, and for, for me and us, and I think for the whole family, that wasn't an option, um, given the, uh, the, the family history of breast cancer um, and just this feeling in my gut that, you know, we needed to do more digging. So I'd asked our family doctor for a second opinion, and I asked to be referred to the Breast Cancer Center at Women's College Hospital in Toronto. So in August of 2019, um, after a ton of different tests, the team determined that it was a benign 
fibroadenomatoid nodule. Um, and my understanding from this is that it's very rare for these to turn cancerous, uh, but it was decided that we'd keep an eye on it and we'd follow up in six months. So in February of 2020, at my follow-up appointment, I was now four months pregnant. So we did a physical exam and everything still looked fine. Um, and we'd, you know, do additional screening after I was done breastfeeding. So, so um, in, let oh, me yeah, just jump up. Let me just jump up there a minute because, as you know, we haven't got time to tell all of your story today. So I want to jump in and ask some questions, and then we take it. You know, the next time we do a podcast with another part of your story. So when you say at four months they did a physical exam, mm-hmm. is that correct? But what did the physical exam consist of? Yeah, so I was I was four months pregnant at the time. So the physical exam was, um, you know, a breast um, exam, like feeling the breast and, and seeing if there was any changes to the size of the fibroadenomatoid. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was so small that you you couldn't feel it. So it was, that's what they were looking for, right? Was there an increase in size or anything that changed there? And also you know, taking a look at if the discharge had changed at all. Okay. So So obviously the discharge hadn't changed, um, but they didn't suggest any other kind of um, scans or or things that, you know, or operations. It was just a case of wait and see, was it? Yeah, because being pregnant, um, they don't want to do some of the um, scans unless there's a reason to think that something has changed. And in my case, nothing had changed at that time. So the risk of, you know, doing those scans, it it wasn't necessary to do those scans at the time. Okay, that's good to know. Um, How did you cope? Were you worrying, um, okay, my mom's had breast cancer twice, um, maybe I'm going to get breast cancer. Do, I mean, I know you, but obviously <laughs> our listeners don't know you. So are you the kind of person that does worry or thinks, well, it might not happen? Yeah, I would say I'm not a big worrier. I'm kind of a believer of, you know, you can't really change things and you, there's no point in worrying about something until it happens. Um, so at the time, you know, based on all of the tests that I've had, I wasn't really concerned. It was, you know, benign. They did a guided um, ultrasound biopsy um, Mm -hmm. and left a little uh, pin. So like a little metal pin in where the, um, the, the nodule was so that they could always come back to that area and see it. So for me, I wasn't really concerned. I mean, obviously I know that there's a possible chance at the time I thought, you know, maybe one day I might get Mm -hmm. breast cancer, Mm -hmm. but at this time in, you know, in, early 2020 with COVID and everything, I thought, okay, you know what? I'm pregnant. We'll do the test once, you know, I'm done breastfeeding and, and we'll go from there. Okay. Interesting. And at this point in time, because my memory is terrible today, Melissa, even though you're my daughter, you hadn't had a genetic test. I had one um, 20 odd years ago, but you at this point had not been tested to see if you were genetically inclined to get breast cancer. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And that's the next part of my story is, you know, um, between February 2020 and when I was planning to go back for, you know, screening um, once being done breastfeeding, that's when I did ask about gene testing and we were referred to um, the gene testing team within Women's College Hospital. And they had explained to us that, um, you know, you always start with the most uh, maternal 
person. So in our case, that would be you. And that's mm-hmm. when um, you were sent to do some gene testing. And then once yours came back, um, they had me do it as well. So could you, um, we haven't missed anything out, have we? Like you went through your pregnancy and um, luckily you had a good pregnancy, even though it was COVID, so you couldn't see anybody. So you didn't have any more signs up at that point. And then um, it was the genetic testing. Is that correct? Yeah. So during my pregnancy, um, the yellow and brown discharge stopped. So um, they, you know, they didn't think that was of concern, you know, with, with everything changing in the body. Um, it, it actually stopped the whole time I was pregnant and breastfeeding. So mm-hmm. up to, you know, getting the gene testing, um, that is when we discovered that we both have the ATM gene mutation. Wow. And for me, it was a bit of a shock because I believe it's a rare gene that hasn't been around very long, if, if, if that's correct, Melissa. But you know a lot more about it than myself because you're very much more educated than I ever was. In my day, I didn't know anything really other than my breast cancer being caught early. So could you tell us a little bit about the ATM gene, please? Yeah. So uh, what I do know or, or what we were kind of told at the time with regards to the ATMG mutation is it is one of the newer genes. And my understanding is, you know, when you were diagnosed and had the original gene testing, um, there was really only a, a couple of known genes. And now there's 20 plus uh, different gene mutations. So with regards to the ATM gene mutation, um, they're still learning a lot about it. But my understanding is that with the ATM gene mutation, it does increase your chance of breast cancer by, I believe, up to 60%. Um, and that's based on the general public. Um, it also increases your um, risk of uh, pancreatic cancer by a very slight um, percentage over the general public. And I believe it's also ovarian cancer. Um, but I would have to find out more information mm. about the, uh, the ETMG mutation. But that's, mm. you know, those are the key parts that I took away from it. That, um, that but is, it does increase our so, risk. Sorry, that is good to know. So in my case, I remember the specialist telling me that because I'd already had my breast removed and I'd had a complete hysterectomy, um, maybe three or four years after the first operation, I guess I, I'm at risk for some, some cancers, but primarily, I guess, pancreatic cancer. But in your case, how did you feel being told that you were at risk and you're a young mom, a young wife? What, how did you feel at the time? Yeah, well, at this time, uh, Lucas, our son, wasn't even born yet. So I was still pregnant um, when we found out this news. And um, it was a conversation that, you know, I first had with my husband, Paul, around, you know, maybe down the road, we, um, you know, have a uh, preventative bilateral mastectomy or a preventative uh, hysterectomy or something Mm. to, you know, to help reduce that risk. Mm. So at the time, I think, you know, for me, it didn't really change anything because I feel like with the family history that we have, breast cancer was always top of mind. And it was something that I knew could happen. Mm. And this is just like another thing that we could keep an eye on or something that could help kind of guide our decisions. Um, So at the time in, you know, 2020, when we found this out, it was really just a, okay, this is good information to have, and it might change some of our decisions moving forward in terms of what we do preventatively versus waiting. 
But you, um, as far as I'm aware, and you know your story better than me, obviously, no one suggested you have any scans or any further, um, what, what shall I say, medical procedures. Um, and you yeah, then so went actually, on to... Yeah, yeah, in early 2021. So we found out about the gene mutation at the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. And in early 2021 was when I was re- referred to the high-risk screening department at Women's College uh-huh. Hospital. Okay. That's where I met with a brand new team. And I was now put into this high-risk um, category within the hospital, within the cancer uh, center there. Um, so I did have my initial physical exam with the team there. We went through all of our family history, what it means to have this ATMG mutation, had a physical exam where once again, the fibroadenoma nodule, um, you know, you couldn't feel it. There was no mm-hmm. changes. There was still no changes in the uh, discharge. So still hadn't had uh, our son at this point. Um, and the yellow and brown discharge had not returned. Um, and so they had said at that time that I would come back in October of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I'd be done breastfeeding at that point. It would give a bit of time for my body to kind of, you know, adjust from you know, I had the goal of finishing breastfeeding um, in the July. Yeah. Uh, so it was it was planned that I would go back in October of 2021 to um, start, you know, the high risk screening in terms of additional scans and then continue the process of, of being seen regularly through the high risk screening department. Okay, so that makes sense. And from what I can gather, you are your own advocate and you do ask lots of questions and you've been given a lot of information and you are very, very happy with your healthcare team. Um, but what I wanted to do now is not carry on with the rest of your story because we're going to come back and do another podcast. I know you've got more work to do for your, your you know, your your career job. But very quickly, um, your son was born, he was healthy, um, he's still thriving, and your husband and and yourself, I guess from from that part of the story, you went on to live what I would call a normal family life and really didn't worry too much. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, Lucas was born in July of 2020. So basically the rest of his story, um, I I know it, but the reason we want to share it in, in segments is so more people are aware of your journey and something um, that neither you nor myself knew could happen. Mm-hmm. So for today, Melissa, I want to thank you for taking this time. It's really, really important to get the word out there. And um, I do believe, though, for, you know, people who are, you know, really, really want to know more about this, that you are sharing your story on certain social media platforms. Is that correct? Yeah. So on Instagram, um, the handle is Mel's, M-E-L-S underscore Mets, M-E-T-S. Um, and then if you're connected with me on LinkedIn, I'm also sharing my story on LinkedIn as well. Well, thank you, Melissa. I I see you as a true warrior, a true um, determined and strong human being. And as you're my daughter, it's it's difficult for me to think of this as a business podcast, but I, I just want to get the word out to everybody. So thank you for your time, Melissa, and we will come back with more of Melissa's story next week. So thank you, Melissa. Have a great day. Thank you. 